Well, the Christian life is a narrow path, and we must guard against straying off that path on either side. Now, I said that here in this church many times, but some truths bear repeating but are so necessary to our well-being that we need to be reminded of them on a fairly regular basis. Not that we must put them on the calendar to do so. The scriptures themselves, as we make our way through them, both privately and in the church setting, bring such truths to mind as needed. And when we come across one of them, we hear in it an echo of other things that we've heard before. We may not always give it a caption like the one I just used, but we know that it represents an eternal truth that's often repeated in different words and different stories and poetry and prose or prophetic words. And we know we ought to embrace it, that it's something important, or God in his word wouldn't keep bringing it up uh, over and over again. The Christian life is a narrow path, and we must guard against straying off of it on either side. Now, I want to give you two quick examples of what I mean by this. First, you and I, if we know Jesus Christ in a personal way, and I just have to stop right here on this uh, for a moment. I, I, I have to tell you that I really mean what I just said. I know Jesus personally, like I know my wife, like I know my children, like I know my parents or any one of my friends. Actually, I know him better, for he is completely himself. He has no need to hide anything about himself. While all of us, we have different faces that we put on from time to time. No, I've not seen him with my eyes, but I don't have to see him that way to know that he is and to know him to where he reveals himself to me in a deeper, more intimate and personal way than I could ever have from a personal sight alone. I've heard his voice, not audibly, but truly and as definitely as if he had spoken out loud. And when we who believe say we know Jesus, we really mean what we say. And let me tell you, if you don't already, you can know him personally too. I don't want you to stop at just knowing about him. That's not enough. That won't save you. It just makes you more responsible. And right now, if you're sitting here, If you don't know Jesus in that way, you are hearing two other voices besides mine. One is speaking mostly inside of your mind, and the other is speaking mostly inside of your heart. And the one voice is telling you that everything that I'm talking about is just poetry, and there's nothing of substance to it. And the other voice, the one in your heart, is telling you, you know what that man is saying is true. The one voice is pushy. It's not quite screaming, but it's full of stress and even fear. But the voice in your heart is calm 
It's even peaceful. It's not pushy. Instead, it leads, it calls, it beckons, it promises to walk with you. And that calm voice is Jesus speaking to you. You should listen to him, for he loves you, and he died for you. And there are people here who can help you to find the truth. And there in that place, in that truth, you will find also forgiveness for your sins and life everlasting. It is yours for the asking. Don't miss the opportunity and the joy that comes with that. But for those of you who already know him, we live under grace. We are not under the law any longer. And that's a narrow path that we walk, but some people, they kind of stray off that narrow path on to one side, and they, they put themselves back under the law, and often they add to it a great many rules of their own making. They tend to be narrow and judgmental. The terribly sad thing about them is, is that, that they're always suspicious of joy, Though God has put joy into our world for us to bless us. Often, though, there are others that then stray off on the other side of that path. And they make a mistake. They begin to think of their freedom as a license. A a license to do whatever pleases them. Without ever asking a question, is it moral or is it something that pleases God? And they begin participating in questionable behavior. And they progress to approving of that behavior, followed by embracing that which common grace for millennia has shown to be sinful. And each one on either side looks at the one on the other side. And and they look down on them and they abhor them. And they don't want to be a part of that. They don't want to be any part of that. Not realizing that every one of them, each of them on either side, or every bit as bad as the other group, but just in the opposite way. You and I have to stay on this narrow path. If you don't, we end up in one error or the other. The other example I'm going to use is just a little bit shorter, and it's about faith. You know, we're to live by faith. That's the way the righteous live. And yet we can uh, stray off one side into fear. We're afraid of failure. Our own or others, that's what we think. But in reality, we are afraid that God will let us down. And that fear is paralyzing. And mostly we don't act. We don't do anything at all. Not even the good things because we don't trust God. And I think there are many of you here that know exactly what I'm talking about right now. And the truth is, I have to confess, I know it all too well myself. The other side is presumption. (laughs) That's the other side you can stray off. We, We come to think of God as a kind of a, well, a genie in a bottle. We think, though we would never put it this crudely, we think this, we, we think that since we bless God by our belief in him, then he's obligated to bless us by giving us everything that we ask for. You see, we aren't to walk in either of those ways. We're not to walk in fear. We're not to walk in presumption. We're to walk by faith in the power of the Spirit. 
And that's the narrow path that we have to keep to. That Christian life is just like that. It's a narrow path, and we dare not stray off it on either side. But there's another aspect to that uh, narrow path that sometimes gets unnoticed, and and I'm going to mention it briefly. The path is narrow, but there's freedom on it. When you're on that narrow path, you know what freedom is. I, I love the way Psalm 119 puts it. It says this, I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. You see, we run. We don't slog or trudge our way through. There's freedom, real freedom in this life, but it is found only on that narrow path. So we're called to that. But when we walk it, we discover how broad, in a sense, it is, how free we are. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to our own feelings. We find a freedom that comes because we want to walk with God and obey Him. And, and all of that that I've talked about so far, all of that is just simply to set the stage for our text that we're going to look at today. Now, we're in the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the books of wisdom in the Old Testament. And I have to tell you, I've been surprised by the number of people who have told me that this is one of their favorite books in the Bible. (laughs) I mean, lots of you have told me that. And I've been a Christian for over 40 years now. And and most of that time, I'm going to be honest with you, I've told you this before, I haven't appreciated that writing. Uh, The truth is, I just kind of endured it. I read through the Old Testament uh, about every eight months. And every time I come to it uh, in the past, I have kind of dutifully made my way through it. I, I knew it was God's word, but I didn't really, it didn't really register within, you know, uh, until I started this study. And now, like many of you, I'm, I'm really grateful for what I read here. Solomon, the author, was the wisest man who ever lived other than Jesus Christ. But Solomon, unlike Jesus, well, he didn't always live up to his wisdom. In fact, much of his life he failed. He he writes now near the end of his life as a man who is trying to redeem the time to, to make good on what time he has left. He wants very much to warn people off the mistakes that he has made. And Solomon's also very practical. Today, he's going to talk to us about life, uh, or more specifically here in this text, he's going to talk to us about a certain part of life which concerns all of us who are here today, all of us who uh, believe. And he speaks in very concrete and down-to-earth terms that most of us are going to understand. In fact, much of what he has to say to us today will be so familiar that we're not going to have to spend a lot of time this morning talking about it, explaining it. Indeed, culturally, we're almost bombarded by this subject. His topic today is money. <laughs> or put another way, it's wealth. And he tells us that we're responsible to work towards increasing it. I wonder when the last time was that you were in a church where you were told that. We are responsible for what God gives us. Now Solomon tells us that, but he doesn't stop there. 
He balances what he has to say on that subject with something else of greater importance, something which by this time we ought to be familiar to us. We ought to remember it. We've heard it a number of times. And that balancing that Solomon does is really important. It helps us to keep on that narrow way that we were talking about. So so we're going to look at what Solomon has to say about wealth and our responsibility there. And then we're going to see how he balances that, which helps keep us on that narrow path. But then we're going to kind of add a layer. We're going to balance it in another way. And we're going to put what Solomon says, all of what he says, into a kind of larger context. So that's what we're going to do today. And so I would like you to join me, if you would please, in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. You can turn there in your Bible or your electronic devices. And of course, we'll have the text on the screen on either side of me. Now, I think we're going to go through this fairly quickly uh, this morning because you're going to know most of what is said here, at least in the very beginning, and then even at the end because we've seen it before. But the first thing that Solomon tells us is that we are to seek to increase our wealth by investing it. So verse 1 says this, ship your grain across the sea and after many days you may receive a return. Now, possibly you've heard that verse from the King James Version. First time I ever heard it was from that. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Now, I have an interesting uh, uh, take on that passage, which I'm going to tell you about a little later on. But I want to start by saying that all modern translations do the same kind of thing that um, the, the NIV does here. They make it clear that Solomon is talking about investing your wealth. In an agricultural society, your bread, your your grain is what you had to work with. So Solomon's telling us to invest it for a return. And, and, um, and, And if I could, right here, talk real fast in a kind of a low voice, just barely audible, I would do what those TV commercials and radio commercials do in their disclaimers. I'd say to you, I'm not an investment broker. Nothing to say should be taken as advice. You should consult a qualified investment advisor. Read the perspective before investing. Past results are no guarantee of future returns. You know that drill, right? You've heard it many times. And I'm not telling you, and neither is Solomon, to go invest in grain futures. But he is telling you to invest. And if that's not clear to you, it will become in the next verse. And there's two things he tells us here in this verse. The first, he tells us the ROI. You know what that is? Some of you absolutely know that, right? The return on investment. That's going to come after many days. You see, when we're investing, we're not looking to get rich quick. The investment really is for a long term. And then secondly, there's, there's always a kind of risk involved. The NIV says your grain, your wealth, that you invested, may return to you. And again, if that's not clear in this verse, it will be when we look at the next verse. Nothing in this life is guaranteed. When it comes to this world we live in, nothing is guaranteed. We will never find real security in the things of this world. In this world, everything is at risk. But this is a world we live in. 
And so we all have to play by the same rules. Now, I I know people cheat, (laughs) but you understand what I mean here, don't you? It's wise for us to make investments, to increase our wealth, not to get rich, but to have enough for our future, to have enough for our needs now, to have enough to help others, to have enough when hard times come. And they are sure to come. Verse 2 tells us because there's risk in this life, the things of this life, we ought to diversify. And so we read there, invest in seven ventures, yes, and eight, you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. You know what that says? It says, don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's one of our English proverbs, and that's the title of the message today. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. The mantra of the investment counselors is diversify, diversify diversify. Reduce your risks by spreading out your investments. That's biblical advice. Very biblical. And it's very practical because you and I have to live in this world. And so we have to have the means to do so. Now look, I I know this is not the kind of thing you normally hear when a pastor stands up here and talks about money. But am I wrong? I don't think so. I think we something we can learn here. Verses 3 through 5 are kind of a comment on this idea, and I think they're really helpful. And, and I, I would summarize those three verses there uh, with an idea kind of taken from one of the parables from the New Testament. I'd say it this way. Don't hide your talent, Okay. Let's see if you can understand why I'm saying that. So there are certain things in this world that you and I, well, we're pretty sure of. There are things that we know, and we can use that knowledge to our advantage. That's what verse 3 seems to be telling us. The clouds are full of water. They pour rain on the earth, and whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, and the place where it falls, there it will be. There are things that you and I know. And and the implication is we use that kind of knowledge in our investment strategies. Verse 5 tells us something different, however. Verse 5 tells us something that we've heard many times as we've looked through this book that we don't know at all. And we read there, as you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's room, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. See, God's plans are greater than ours. And he's working out his purposes. And, and here, in, 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 in fact, you already know that. You know that his purposes and our purposes are not always the same. They don't always coincide. But his way is always the right way. So there, there are things that we can know and we can use that. We ought to use those things to our advantage. But we don't know it all. And there are things that are outside of our control. And verse 4 is a thing which I think ties those two ideas together. And Solomon places it in the middle to draw our attention to it, in the middle of those two other Proverbs. He's telling us that you can always find an excuse not to act. (laughs) So we read there, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. There's always an excuse not to act. 
you know some things, you don't know all things, so you don't know how things are going to turn out. And if you keep looking for some kind of guarantee in this life, you're never going to act. That's what it says. You'll continually look at the wind. You won't plant. You won't harvest. That, that, that um, statement out of Ecclesiastes has kind of personal, special meaning to me. Uh, I used to work for a guy as a carpenter who had his own business, right? And, and he was a really great guy, but work was not his favorite. <laughs> he was actually pretty um, lazy, you know? And um, as a matter of fact, uh, I mean, he was a great guy. But one time he asked me, he said, well, Larry, how long is this job going to take? I said, well, if I work by myself, it's going to take five days. If you give me help, good help, I can do it in two days. If you help me, three weeks at a minimum. (laughs) One day, we were going to work on a project together. I got to his house, and the sky was threatening, you know? looked like it was going to let loose some rain at any minute. And he said, well, I think maybe we ought not to go out. I quoted this verse to him. He was a Christian. I said, he, who doesn't, he watches the sky and never plants. You don't ever reap. So we got in the truck and we went to the job site. We set up. Began to spit a little bit. So, well, maybe we ought to pack up. Four or five times that day, I quoted that verse. Every time he wanted to leave and every time we kept working. And we finished the whole job that day. He was so glad about it, he took the next day off. <laughs> it's true. I mean, he gave me work, but he took the day off. See, see, the first thing that Solomon tells us is it's so very practical. Make investments and increase your wealth. You have knowledge, use it. Know there's a risk to investments, so diversify it, and don't be afraid to ask. It's not about getting rich. It's about being wise. It's about living in this world that we live in and having the means to do it. Solomon hasn't said it, but we can say this. Don't put your trust in your investments. Put your trust in God and live the way he tells you. Step out prayerfully in faith and do what he tells you. Let him lead you. Do you pray about your investments? Do you, do you ask God about your financial situation? You know when you do most of the time? When you find yourself in trouble. When you have nowhere else to turn. You know, God's there all the time. Always. And he'll guide you and he'll lead you in that. Now, there's another basket that we could put some of our eggs in. <laughs> And, uh, and that's the next thing that Solomon talks about uh, when he talks about increasing our wealth. And I would put it this way, invest in yourself or invest yourself wisely. So in verse 6, we read this, Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do well, uh, equally well. So, you, you know, the asset that you have the most control over is yourself. So invest it wisely. You don't know what's going to happen. Which of your efforts are going to bring a profit? So so let's understand the text of what it's saying to us so far. The first part we looked at, it deals with what I'm going to call kind of a passive investment, right? It's putting our money on deposit or in IRAs or investing in stocks and bonds. Again, I just say that to Claimer right here. I, I don't have any advice in that area to give you. And those passive investments really are kind of for long term. But here, the time frame is much 
shorter. Solomon is telling us to work hard, to earn what we need for the here and now. So, so when I read this, I, I kind of think of a salesperson. Uh, and that salesperson goes out and he makes a call, or she makes a call. And, and one customer they talk to really, really seems to be interested in, and they're positive that this person is going to buy. And the temptation is right then is to rest on that. Yeah, you're pretty sure they want what you've got, right? But if you're smart, you go and you make the next call and the one after that. And maybe that first customer will buy. Maybe they'll buy from you. But maybe your competitor will hedge you out. So don't put your eggs all in one basket in that one customer. Spread it out. Keep making your calls. Invest in yourself. Maybe you're an auto mechanic, right? Your specialty is domestic cars. Oh, you could learn to work on foreign vehicles, which broadens your ability and your usefulness. Oh, you work hard to advance. You, you learn what you can. And so maybe you become the service manager one day, or maybe you open your own shop. See, the one asset you have the most control over is yourself. So invest it wisely. Keep growing. Keep learning. Keep improving. Or as one famous commercial puts it, be all that you can be. (laughs) You and I live in this world where we need money. Money itself is not evil. The love of money is. God's designed our world this way. It's not a mistake. It's not an accident. There's both blessing and temptation when it comes to money. And we have to make use of it. The love of money brings great sorrow. If you love money, you'll become its servant and it's a cruel master. But you can make it your servant if you keep your heart in the right place. Solomon's advising us to use money wisely, to recognize that God is in control, to use what we know, to trust God, and and we're going to play by the rules of this life, which means we need to attempt to increase our wealth, not to be rich, but in order to be self-sufficient. And we're going to invest ourselves so we may be more productive, become more valuable as time goes on. Look, I owned a business for a while, I had a guy that worked for me. He was my highest paid guy. And I came to him one day. I needed to promote somebody to a supervisor. And I said to him, I said, I want you to take the job. It meant a significant increase in pay. And he didn't want it. I guess I shouldn't find fault with that. I mean, I know. It. Some people just want to go to work and do their job and go home. And there's nothing wrong with that. But was he really investing in himself? Are you investing in yourself? Are you trying to improve your place in life? I'm not telling you to run the rat race. I'm not telling you to climb the corporate ladder. I'm telling you to be all that God made you to be. That's what Solomon says, I think, in those first six verses. And if we were to stop right here, If we weren't to go any further, the weight of everything that we've been saying would be tipping us to one side. We would stray off the path, but Solomon balances what he said by reminding us again of something he has said many times already in this book. 
He tells us in verses 7 and 8 to enjoy this good life that God has given us. So verse 7 says this, light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. You know what he's talking about, don't you? Especially at this time of the year, after coming through winter with its often gray skies and short days, that sunshine is nice, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I just drink it in. I love it. And it's a gift from God. It's given to us freely by God. He blesses us with sunshine. And there are all sorts of things like that in this life that he gives us freely. We have an English proverb, don't we? You know what it is. It's it's how we balance the demands of life that we take time to smell the roses. There's so much good in this world that God has given us, and he offers it to us, again, freely and without charge of any kind. He gives it to us for our enjoyment. Sharon, could I, could I get you to put up the pictures for me right now? <laughs> yesterday, yesterday I held my first grandchild my first son, in my arms for the first time. There is not enough money in all the world that I would take and trade for that short time holding that little baby. God gave me that. He gives us good things in this life to enjoy. Solomon goes on to say in the beginning of verse 8, How many, year, however many years anyone may live, let them enjoy all of them. Those years are God's gift to you. Solomon has repeatedly told us that God gives us family and friends and our church, although he doesn't talk about the church. We know it's there. He gives that to us for our enjoyment. He gives to us the work of our hands to enjoy things that we do for our pleasure, for our good, and to bless us. These things that he gives us are eternal things. And we ought to invest in those. We ought to make them grow. We love, we marry, we have children, we have grandchildren, we make friends, we share Christ, we, we help those in need. And we enjoy this life and we invest in it. Now verse 8 tells us two things that we need to remember. And those two things point us to a truth that we ought never to forget. And that is as good as things are in this life, this is not all there is. Verse 8 again, how many years, however many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all, but let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. There will be hard times. There is risk to you if you live in this world. If you love, and I hope you do, if you enjoy family and friends and church, your heart may be broken. You know that, don't you? C.S. Lewis tells us the only alternative to risk of a broken heart is to take your heart and lock it up in a box where no one can touch it. And if you do that, your heart will never be broken. But it'll be changed. It'll no longer be able to be broken. It'll become as hard as a rock. 
are just as dead. There's risk involved in everything associated with this life. And if you invest your wealth in yourself, not all of your investments will work out as you hope. And you'll be disappointed sometimes. You'll experience loss sometimes. This world we live in is a real world with real risks. Not just to the wallet and the pocketbook, but to our hearts as well. But in spite of that, in spite of that, we are to enjoy this good life that God has given us. The other reminder in verse 8 comes at the very end, and, and we're told there that everything to come is meaningless. Now, remember, many of you have been here, you know this, but that word meaningless uh, really is better translated as a kind of a passing breeze. The life spread out before us even now is, um, is short. I, I know it's hard for us when we're in good health, when life is full, when things are going well, to remember that it'll all come to an end sooner or later, much sooner than we think. It was only yesterday that I brought my first child, my son Earl, home from the hospital. Probably tomorrow, he will bring his first child home from the hospital. And the day after that, Wesley Maverick Dyson will bring his child home from the hospital. Life is a passing breeze. Enjoy all of it that you can while you can. Remember this life is short. It's not all there is. There is an eternity stretched out before us, an eternity of life if we have that personal relationship with Jesus. Christ, or death forever if we don't. And Solomon balances our need for money with the joy that God freely gives us here in this life, but we're going to add to that balance right now. We're going to put some weight on this in another dimension. We're going to look just a little bit for just a moment into forever. So if we go back to verse 1, and let me read it to you again in the King James Version. It says this, cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. You know, I remember uh, that I did say early on that I had a kind of a different take on this. And I want to tell that to you right now. My grandfather, my dad's dad, uh, put that verse into practice in a different way. It wasn't about investing in money and wealth. It was about investing in another way. So whenever anyone was in trouble or having a hard time, my grandfather would help as he could. He gave money when he had it to those who uh, needed it, if that was what was needed. He gave a helping hand if someone was behind on their planting and harvest. He would help the sick and the unfortunate. He and my grandmother took in three children, relatives abandoned by their mother and father, and raised them along with their four sons. He worked hard for his family, farming, and logging, and blacksmithing. He constantly was casting his bread upon the waters. And then one day, his house caught fire. 
It was an old wooden structure. I've shared this with you before in relation to my grandmother. And it was drafty as all those old kinds of houses generally are. It was built up on piers, so it was open all across the bottom. And the wind was blowing, and almost before anyone could do anything, there was really just enough time for those who were inside to get out. And the house was engulfed in flames, and it burned to the ground. And my grandfather was in the field, and he saw the smoke, and there was nothing he could do. He ran back, and he gave thanks to God because everyone had gotten out safely. But the house was gone, and they had no insurance. That same day, people from miles around saw the smoke. And they knew it was coming from Doc Dyson's place. And as that day went on, more and more people would come, and they arrived, and they brought help of all kinds. Some who owed him money somehow found money enough to repay him at that time. Food and supplies arrived. People came and wept with them and rejoiced with them. Prayers were offered. And they knew those prayers were heard. And my grandfather said to my grandmother, I cast my bread upon the waters. And after many days, it's come back to me. He invested in the things of this world, but he invested in eternity. Hebrews puts it this way. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. So we live in a real world. It takes money to live here, so we're going to play by the rules of this life. We ought to invest our wealth not to get rich, but to supply our needs, to help others who are in need. There are things that we know and understand, and we can use them, but there are all sorts of things that we don't know. And we can trust God. And there's always a reason not to act, my friends. But if you trust God, you can do something in this world. And then we, too, we we're going to invest ourselves. One asset that we have real control over. And we keep on trying to grow and improve and become all that we can be. And yet we're not consumed by all of that. We balance our life, the life in this world, with the joy that God freely gives us in family and friends and church, knowing there are going to be hard times to come, remembering that this life is but a passing breeze that flies away all too quickly. Solomon kind of stops right there. <laughs> he hints that there's more to come, but he doesn't come right out and say it. We have. We balance the things of this life, both the good and the bad, the investing of money and the investing of ourselves, the investing of our time, our loves, our joys, our interests. We invest all of that in the kingdom of God where there is no moth, no rust, Nothing to corrupt, where thieves cannot break in and steal. There in heaven will be our treasure. And there in heaven is where our hearts will be. Right where they belong. Only here. Only in that one basket, in God's keeping, can we put all of our eggs. <laughs> that is the one sure and safe investment that we can make. 
And if we invest in his kingdom, it will keep us on that narrow path all our life long. Those are my closing words to you are. Invest wisely. You have a life to live here. An eternity that stretches out before you. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your grace uh, to us, and thank you, uh, Lord, that you speak to us about all sorts of things. Many times we've heard about the need to give, and uh, certainly, Lord, we don't ever want to be controlled by uh, finances. But you bring balance into our lives. You speak to us the truth always. And we want to be wise with money and everything else. Most of all, we thank you that you are at work in our lives, that you walk with us through this life, that you have a purpose for us. You have plans for us, and those plans are good. And we rejoice in that, and we rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.